everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Thurston County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, Brian uh, here for the Real Hawk Talk podcast and uh, web show, and we've got Jeff Simmons and Evan Hill. Welcome, guys. Good to see you as always. Good to see you. <laughs> the gun show early on in this show. Evan. Wow. Yeah, for this. Woo! Wow, I wasn't prepared <laughs> for that so quickly. Um, so, yeah. I, I have to. I have to admit, uh, I made a silly mistake at the jump. Um, I wanted to make everyone jealous about uh, our hookup with Pagliacci Pizza, and so you know, we're gonna see which one of the hot blogger crew could get pizza tonight. And I decided to send it to Evan, and I, instead of sending it at six forty-five, I sent it at seven forty-five. So at some point during this podcast, Evan is gonna get up and start pounding pizza into his face um, for our viewing pleasure. It will be it'll be great. And uh, while I'm mentioning it, if you haven't already, buy an 11 inch pizza, enter the code HawkBlogger, you get an 11 inch pizza for free. It's a sweet deal. So um, feel free to join Evan if you'd like. All right, Jeff, I'm already off the rails here. Help, help bring us back. What, what, what are we gonna talk about? We've got some great guests this week. Um, before they get on, there's so much to go over. Where should we start? Well, it's always a busy week with the Seahawks, and they're on the bye week. And unfortunately, the start of this week starts with some somber news, as I think Pete Carroll said on Sirius Radio today. And we we had already talked about this in earlier episodes. I think Brian was kind of the first one on this story. But it looks like the Seahawks are going to place Cliff Averill, the defensive end, on the IR. And it seems like there's some issues where with his, his neck and his spine, and those are things you don't really take chances with. And there have been some rumors that, I think he came out and kind of dispelled about maybe some could be the end for him. Could be, could be retirement for Cliff Averill, considering where he has that in his career that he might not be back with the Seahawks next year. So Brian, Evan, I don't know if you want to have some thoughts on Cliff, who's been one of the more likable Seahawks players since he joined as a free agent. He's been great in the community. He's been great in the locker room. He's been even better on the field. It's kind of a sad story for such a, a guy you want to root for on this team. Yeah, just just kind of like echoing what people have said on Twitter. Uh, the the dude is so much uh, his legacy is so much bigger than football that you know, kind of in, in the realm of what he does, football is minuscule at least to me. Like his his impact is truly uh, worldwide. Whether it's you know building houses in Haiti, helping other people, you know, investing in the local community. Um, Cliff Cliff is someone I th- I think we're really lucky to have in Seattle right now. So. 
I, I mean, it, it, he's got to do what's best for him, you know, his health. He's uh, in his early 30s. I think he's 32, 33, something like that. So, um, you know, with neck issues especially, he's really got to prioritize his health. And I think uh, either way, Seahawks fans should absolutely respect, you know, whatever decision he chooses to make. So, Yeah, I think that's really well said, Evan. And um... – Oh, we're getting some some notice that some people are having sound issues. So let us know if, if other people are having problems with sound. I'm, I'm hearing you guys just fine. So we can just talk to each other for a while. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I've, I've, I've had the, the chance to meet, um, you know, different media members, different players, different front office people through random, you know, events over time. And one of the things that's always been shocking to me or it continues to surprise me is how often the players are humble and better than what you'd expect them to be. You know, I think my expectation was these guys were all going to be big ego, um, uh, entitled, feel like that they were better than you and didn't have time for you. And Cliff's a perfect example of how wrong I was. Like he is better in person than he is, you know, in, in media interviews. He is so genuine. He really wants to do right by people. Um, each individual he takes time for, he talks to, he looks you in the eye. Um, and the way, as Evan talked about, the way he spends his time off the field, um, you know, this is a stand-up person. He's a perfect ambassador for what, you know, you'd want a Seahawk to be and, He's also been a fantastic player that's had some of the most impactful plays that led to Super Bowls. You know, Colin Kaepernick, you know, I always like to joke about the ass, the Averill strip sack. And uh, uh, the guy was a master at it. And um, I hope that he is able to come back and play, but it doesn't sound like that's necessarily the the likeliest scenario. And if this is the end for Cliff Averill, like uh, – uh, I think all Seahawks fans actually should, you know, take take some time to hit him up on Twitter and just, you know, share some love. A great guy and a great player. And uh, be interesting to see what what the team does now um, as they turn the page. Uh, you've already got hardcore Seahawks fans interested in Braden Jackson, who, you know, had a few pressures in that game. You've got Frank Clark, who's now going to get more snaps and and stepped up. And um, you know, from a cap perspective, Evan, you know, I don't know if you have anything you can say about, I don't think the retirement affects anything there, but next year, Averill's probably coming off the books. And I think that's over $7 million. Yeah, I know that that's a, that's a great point. And lots of, lots of people have been hitting me up on that on Twitter. So I, I did some research before, um, before the show asked some contacts of mine about, you know, what his contract actually specifically says. There's these things, there's these things called IR salary splits where um, basically a player will get paid a certain amount if he's, you know, seriously injured and, and he's put on IR and he does not have an IR split in his contract. So basically his entire salary is guaranteed for the year via termination pay that is in the specifics of his contract. So basically this year, him going on IR or retiring would not affect the 2017 cap at all. 2018, they would get some, unearned likely to be earned roster bonuses recouped back for the 2018 season so they without him on the books in 2018 we're talking a lot of cap space like i don't know probably around 40 mil without without looking at it so um yeah that's that's his impact from a financial perspective 
Sorry, when you said 40 mil, his specific, his, his contract, um, you know, if you want to take a second and check, um, the amount of cap space that would, that, that'll open up next year might be good. Oh yeah. Yes. Let me, let me check real quick. So his cap hit for 2018 is 8 million total. That includes a $7 million base salary, which is non-guaranteed. So 7 mil right off the books, right off there, 500 K signing bonus, which is already paid to him. And then a 500 K roster bonus. So basically cutting him pre June 1st, which they would do, you know, before 2018, it's, it would save 7.5 million against the cap. So a, a good chunk of change. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, other maneuvers, you know, um, that's one person uh, that's, that's no longer on the roster, at least uh, from a active roster perspective. Um, I don't know if they've officially put them on IR, but it sounds like it's in. It. Uh, what about other moves? What are the other moves you guys are interested in? Um, uh, going on with the Seahawks right now. There's quite a bit of talk for a bye week. I'm st I don't know about you, Jeff, but I'm still praying for Brandon Albert. Are you following his Instagram every day? Like <laughs> so I, else? I actually don't have Instagram. I have like these little birds on Twitter that like tweet me updates <laughs> every 30 minutes when he does an Instagram story or whatever. So uh, I, I'm not, I'm not a millennial in the sense that I, uh, that I Insta, if that's the proper terminology. <laughs> you are such a millennial. Don't try to escape who you are, man. I'm an oldie. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I'm I'm hearing rumors, you know, about about him from his stories and stuff. So well, share, dude, spill. Not all of us are on Instagram checking it up. Well, it, it sounds like he's still in Seattle. It's so as strange. of when. What was that? As of when? As of today. And what's he doing in Seattle? God knows. <laughs> Everything comes from those videos, whether he's in front of Wingstop or, or whatever. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he's working out. Maybe he's get, trying in, in, to get, you know, into some type of shape. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how he's kept his shape up in this, like, midseason retirement that he's had. I, I really have no idea what's going on. I'm completely clueless right now. So, <laughs> Jeff, what do you think is going on there? It's such a strange story because I can't think of any other example where a guy in the middle of the seasons in Seattle for what, like throughout the whole bye week. At first, my gut instinct was maybe the bye week was holding the thing up. But it comes out Monday, it comes out Tuesday that there's no deal. Yeah. And now he's still lingering around and it's got to be a money thing. Maybe he's trying to out, he's trying to hope the Seahawks have maybe another bad week at left tackle and he's still hanging around or his agent wants him to stick around. I don't know. I can't put my finger on this one. I just and yeah, so you know, just following up on what you're saying, Jeff. I, I don't understand why he's staying in Seattle. Like, that's what I can't figure out. Like I understand like ongoing negotiations, but I mean New York was interested too, right? So why why wouldn't why wouldn't he be flying over there, you know? Um and by the way, that's not Evan growling at you. He just has some some uh, animated <laughs> friends. <laughs> uh yeah. So um I guess I don't think it's that much of a mystery. The way I see it is Albert's in town. They, they worked him out. The Seahawks have shown some interest. Apparently there's been an offer made. That's, I think that's still debatable whether that's true. I think there's a lot of stuff that could be coming from an agent because the places where that's coming from are the same tweets that say Albert's got a deal uh, or has been offered a deal. hasn't come to terms and he's leaving town. 
those haven't been right. He hasn't been leaving town. So to assume they're also right about them offering a deal may not be true. So I, I continue to think that the Seahawks have their eye on a better player than Brandon Albert. And they've got a couple things going on. Dwayne Brown has got some time frame, a deadline, whether it's this week or next week here, I'm hearing different things from John Clayton and other people about when this true deadline is for his to have to report in order to get a year accrued on his contract. That's going to be a deadline. That's going to force some action for the Texans. I think the Seahawks are waiting to see if they can get the right deal for Dwayne Brown. The other thing going on there is the October 31st trade deadline. So, you know, those are two timeframes that are coming up. I think the Seahawks have basically said, hold on, you know, we're working on some things. And if it doesn't work out, you're our first choice. And if that's the case, they'll sign him. I mean, I, I think the whole New York thing is a total crock. The Giants are one in five. They're not needing to sign free agent like tackles who want to make anything over the veteran minimum. Um, they've got Eric Flowers, who's terrible, and I don't think he's going to get any better. And they just moved Pew out to right tackle, who played really well against Von Miller. So yeah, I, I think he has no other interest. Um, and and I think that's I think Seahawks fans should take that into account as well. Everyone's on the Brandon Albert train, other than maybe me. Like I'd be fine with him because I think he's better than Reese. But understand the Seahawks don't have enough cap space to be getting more than one guy. And if Albert's the guy, that's it. And so I would much rather they keep their powder drying, try to get someone who actually could make a difference. Get me a Dwayne Brown, get me a Joe Staley, um, someone of that caliber. Um, you know, Staley is an interesting one. I don't think they'll be able to get him because I don't think they have what San Francisco wants. But um, he's got a really interesting contract affordability-wise. The next couple of years, I think it's in the – eight or nine million range like he's he signed it very team friendly you know this year it's kind of a, it's kind of a camel contract it's got a hump in the middle and, and then it gets lower as the years go on so anyway i think there's mentioned something there what about this martavis bryant thing I, I gotta start by just saying i don't get it why why does anyone want another receiver we can't block well enough to throw to the ones we've got we've made two in my mind, horrible trades for skill position players gave up draft capital to bring in these skill position players and don't have the line to protect, to throw it to them. Like, why do we want another disgruntled skill position player? Help me, guys. Yeah, I, no, I, I have one question to follow up on that, and it's a question for both of you. Do either of you completely trust the Seahawks offensive coaching staff and the Seahawks offense, so including players, obviously, to effectively utilize a very talented offensive weapon. Do either of you have complete confidence in that? No, not completely. No, absolutely not. <laughs> and that's my point. He's not worth it. I, I like Brian, like Brian has stated from the beginning, we need to invest in Russell's protection, not I, I I'm confident in his weapons. It's his protection that we need to address. This is just part of being a sports fan. Unfortunately, I I covered sports, pro sports and Toronto and baseball and hockey. And anytime a player comes out on a rumor, no matter what team you're a fan of or what you're covering, a fan's first reaction is our team should get that guy. <laughs> Seahawks fans are super guilty of this, just like everyone else. It happens in every sport I've ever covered. They see the rumor, Martavis Bryan's unhappy, their brain clicks. Oh, we need a big receiver. They completely forget the Jimmy Graham thing. They completely forget Percy Harvin. 
And all logic goes out the window. They just think, oh, our team should get this guy. And the realistic fans, probably more like you too, <laughs> realize it's not a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, there, there's some, I, I don't want to imply that folks that are interested in this trade are, are crazy because, uh, I mean, I, I think that, I, I think that he's a good, potentially great receiver. You know, he's on, I think it's still his rookie deal. And um, hold on, did you just see what Softy just tweeted? No. Well, Softy just tweeted he's hearing that Brandon Albert is not signing with anyone. He's going to retire. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. Did you guys just see that? Oh, let me look it up. You mean he's going to retire again? Yeah. That's what... Not signing oh, with you. My. God. <sighs> yeah. Well. Wow. I think Evan's reaction there says it all. <sighs> well, that there there goes your leverage for any uh, conversations with the Texans. The Texans are looking looking their chops right now. Um. Look. I. I, 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 I we should have known when he was when he was out in front of Wingstop. We should have known he was retiring. We should have known it was a clue. You know, guys, <laughs> I consider it a blessing. This is a guy that can't decide if he wants to play football. He's retired, unretired, and retired all within the span of a few months. Um, I don't know that that's the guy that you want to be counting on to block a key player at a key moment and be preparing like crazy to get ready for the next week and giving his best effort. So, um, I, you know, I think this is a, a blessing in disguise. If this guy isn't sure that he loves football and wants to play football, I don't think you want him on the team. It's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. But like you said though, that leverage with the Dwayne Brown talks or really, really talks with anybody kind of goes out the window. Well, um, <laughs> so now everyone's asking about Reese and what this means on the, the offensive line, right? Let, let's, let's play the game for a second where uh, there is no change, that nobody gets brought in. And that's probably, to be honest, the most likely situation, right? Like, trades are hard. Yeah. Um, do you think that they stick with Reese? Do you think that they start working to bring someone else in off of the, off the bench? specifically a left tackle yes i don't know who you'd put out there are you i mean is tobin the second option is that is that who his backup is tobin and isaiah battle we haven't seen anything from them what do you think jeff i think they're gonna keep riding riso diambo i think tom cable took a couple kind of digs at reese this week saying that like the rest of the line has kind of started to figure things out and kind of said they're waiting for that left tackle position to get better. But I don't think Matt Tobin or Battle are right now are ready to play. And as bad as Odiambo's been, I think he's our guy right now, unfortunately. Hey, well, you know what? Let's, let's stop talking about our left tackle for a second. Um, and welcome, uh, thankfully, a much brighter face and a more exciting topic uh, of conversation. Warren Sharp uh, of, of Sharp Football Stats uh, is our guest tonight. And uh, Warren, welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks for having me. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, we can hear you just fine. Um, I have to admit, like I, I was gonna, I, I, I was busting your chops about this on Twitter a few months ago, but I almost wanted to ask you if you broke, if your collarbone's healing, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> first time I saw, I was like, is that Aaron Rodgers' brother, or, or you know, are they related somehow? And, and I think you said that other people have, have uh, made that comment as well. Yeah, I've really, I'm not sure. I guess it's the mustache, uh, but I've, I've never, heard, literally, never heard that before until this year. I started doing a lot of uh, Monday night football pregame shows, and uh, you know, out of the woodwork, everybody's comparing me to him. So I don't see the resemblance, but um, collarbone. And if if I could be half as good as he is at, at analytics, that he is as good as uh, at playing football, then I'll take it. Well, there's there's definitely worse guys to be compared to. I mean, uh, you know, True. like. Uh, <laughs> It's not like you're, you know, we're comparing you to the Seahawks opponent, opposing quarterback this week, uh, Eli Manning, who, uh, you know, I don't think you'd want that. But um, so I don't know that a lot of people are familiar with your work. Obviously, we're huge fans of what you do and what you've brought to, you know, kind of the quantitative analysis of what's going on in the football field that kind of unveils some things that our eyes aren't going to catch on their own. But tell us a little bit about you. Tell, tell the folks that are listening how you got started and, and, and what you do on your site. Yeah, so uh, I guess I went to school, a uh, top 10 engineering school, got my degree in civil engineering, um, started working as an engineering consultant, uh, got my PE license after four years in the field and was doing that route. Um, that was kind of my one profession. But then my other profession, my, my hobby was, um, I loved watching NFL and I got into that at a very early age. And I loved starting maybe like just after I got out of high school betting on the games. And I kind of put two and two together when I was in college and wrote some uh, computer models to try to help predict the outcomes of the games. And uh, I worked on that for actually for four years, the whole time I was in school, which I was actually in for five years. But for the four, for four, for those five years, I was working on that, um, came out of school, kind of had a really good model that was working. So I was betting on the game, sharing some of that information. And then I kind of uh, guys out in, in Las Vegas with some of my records and how well I was doing. So started working with some of the uh, syndicate groups out there, some of the more well-known um, sports bettors who uh, are betting larger volumes of money on the game. So uh, my performance was solid enough that uh, they brought me sort of into their circle. I've got a lot of uh, good contacts and connections through them. Um, but the whole time, you know, I was, I was looking at the landscape of sports betting and it's really very hollow um there's really not a whole lot of people like me in that field who are like quantitative analysts like guys who at least you don't see them you know there are guys who work for the groups behind the scenes off the screen but nobody sees them but i kind of like giving back to people sharing information and um you know i obviously gravitated towards like football outsiders and pro football focus and some of those analytical sites but um i didn't quite find enough uh, the information like is easily accessible, you know, play by play information. How can we break this down? How can we slice it and dice it to get more, I guess, deeper into some of the stats and do some things that I wanted to do that really weren't being done by some of those sites. So um, I, that's where the kind of the sharp football stats.com came from. That that's what was developed from is my desire to take it to the next level and do something that, I didn't feel we could get from the other sites. And obviously, um, you know, some of those sites started charging money uh, 
more exorbitant amounts and you know that's why i made my site completely free i just wanted you know to get this information out there to have it available for people to uh, access for free um so i've done tons of different regression analyses on you know different analytics which ones i favor which ones i don't um i watch all all the games uh, i go back and rewatch some on film but i mean i'm in my theater here, I have, you know, TVs all over the place, including the big one that I can throw up all the games on. And I'm literally, because I'm, that's one edge I think that guys who bet on sports have is because I might be betting on, you know, five different games concurrently. Uh-huh. I've gotten really good at, you know, multitasking and jumping from game to game and what, trying to watch every single snap and really being integrated into that. I think fantasy has helped allow people to do that as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's a different edge when you're betting on these games and you have a lot of lot to ride on each result. So I, I just love it. I love football. I love analytics. And this is a perfect uh, perfect marriage, I think, between them. Yeah, that's – God, that's fascinating. God. Uh, so uh, without giving away any trade secrets that uh, I'm sure you, you don't want to or can't, it occurs to me that you've probably got a pretty good idea of like the key elements um, that give a team an advantage, one team an advantage over another. Um, you know, can you, can you share some insights or, or pick some insights that you could share that, that fans might be able to, to, to learn from? Yeah, I think the, the most obvious one, and this is one that I do talk publicly about. I mean, obviously, as you, as you kind of alluded to, there are probably some that I won't be as eager to talk about. But this one is really, this is the crux of everything, in my opinion. Um, it's completely the opposite way that we really analyze. Um, you see the graphics pop up. What does the team do on third down? Well, this team's gone, you know, is four of 11, and this team is six of nine. So, you know, look at this one team. They're doing so much better on third down. But the reality is, Games are won or lost on first and second down. Um, if you get to third down, to me, that's a loss. Uh, just getting to third down. In the NFL, it's about bypassing third downs. It's, a be, it's about being efficient on first and second down. And so uh, a few years ago, I created a metric I call early down success rate. And basically, it looks at a team's ability to bypass third downs on offense or to force opponents into third downs on defense. And... I did tons of regression analysis on this, and I found that it was actually not only was it related to wins than any other metric out there apart from turnovers, but unlike turnovers, you can actually model this predictively as well. So I built models to help model early down success rate predictively based on year-to-date metrics and strength of schedule from early down success rate and opponents that the team is going up against. Um, but it really is, I think people get carried away too much by a couple of things that they've just been in brain with from all the, you know, the talking heads that they see commenting on these games, you know, at 1 p.m., 4 p.m. Eastern, uh, you know, that are just talking about, well, it's second and short, so it's great time for a shot play. Well, um, you know, they've got three downs here. It's, it's, it's four down territory. I'm, I'm okay with like fourth downs. I think teams don't go for it enough. That's kind of that's where all of the metrics kind of boil down to like a lot of the analytics stuff is like, well, what should a team do on fourth down? Well, if you're getting the fourth down, there's very few times that a team would actually be in a situation where they legitimately should be going for it. So having that be like the biggest discussion for analytics in football is kind of to like a very small corner of the room. First and second down is much more prevalent. Um, 
And so I found that it's it's extremely useful. If people are watching games, if people are paying attention, when they flash up those graphics, don't look at what a team is in terms of how many third downs they've converted. Compare the two teams in terms of how many third downs they've had to attempt. Uh-huh. You know, if one team's attempted 16, the other team's attempted seven, guess what? You could be two of seven on third down and the other team could be thir- uh, 10 of 16. I'm guessing that the team that's been two of seven on third down is probably doing just as well in that game as the team that's, you know, had a higher percentage, but has been going into third down almost every single time that, they, you know, multiple times on in a game. And Seattle was a perfect example. Um, your guys' defense, I mean, it, it's not quite where it once was, as I'm sure you know, but um, that defense used to be so difficult for teams to matriculate the ball down the field and score. And that's why they needed these chunk plays because the odds of a team being able to convert a couple, two to three third downs on a drive against your defense is going to be very difficult to do. That's why these teams needed to avoid those third downs and get some chunk plays in their drives in order to have success against your team. So you, you talked about, it's all over your site, sharpfootballstats.com, correct? Um, right. Uh, success. And you talked about early down success being key. What constitutes success from an analytics standpoint on first down or second down? Okay. So on first down, uh, basically you're looking to gain 40% of the yards to go. And one of the reasons why I love success rate more so than yards per carry, yards per pass, yards per play, those types of metrics is because success rate adjusts for down and distance. You could have a, you could have a, first and 10 penalty, right? So it sets a holding penalty, sets you up for first and 20. First down, you might gain, have a nice five yard gain. Well, that doesn't really help when you're in second and 15, um, like it would if you were on in second and five. So that penalty has really screwed you up. It's gonna be more difficult for you to be successful on that first down, which is why success rate is, is a perfect metric in my mind because it's, it's binomial, it's one or zero, either you were or you were not successful on that play. And the gauge is how many yards to go and what down is it? So 40% on first down, 60% on second down of the yards to go. And then see third or fourth down, you just, do you gain a first down or not? So I've incorporated a ton of success rate into this, but then I also realized that there was another key metric that I love, while I love success rate, another metric that is being left out captured by yards per play, yards per carry, yards per pass, that is not if you're just looking at success rate. And that's what happens on the unsuccessful plays. Um, is, is an unsuccessful play gaining no yards? Or let's say you needed to gain six yards on a play for it to be graded as successful because you get, let's say you get zero yards on first down. So that second down play has got to get six yards and set you up on schedule for third and, sh- third and medium, third and short. If your second down play gains no yards, if your second down play gains five yards, it's also graded out as unsuccessful, but it's a massive edge to convert a third and five as opposed to a third and 10. So I created a metric called missed yards per attempt, which looks at only the plays that are unsuccessful. How close do you get to being successful? So in that example I just gave, in one play, you missed it by one yard. You gained five, you needed six. In another play, you missed it by six yards. You gained nothing and you needed six. So I looked at I look at those metrics as well on the site. And I think that's kind of the other side of the coin. It's not quite as success rate, but it's still a big factor in uh, in calculating efficiency. So I'm going to let the other guys jump in here in a second. I, I could definitely get to talk to you for hours. But uh, 
I'm curious, you, you look at the game differently than I think the average fan, obviously, uh, than the average fan. And, and do you, though, have favorite players? Do you have do you have favorite teams? Does the game still have that kind of meaning to you, or is it is it simply a game of strategy and and analytics that you're trying to break down? Yeah, it, it really has become uh, my fan. I'm a fan of efficiency. I'm a fan of good football. Um, good football, not meaning necessarily just high scoring wild football, uh, but just efficient play calling. And I've got a lot more into the the play calling and decision making side of things, which is why I've got a pretty neat uh, page on the website, which looks at play calling analytics and it tracks what teams do the most often in certain downs and distances. And then what plays are the most successful in downs and distances. And you can compare the two to see, well, as a team, you know, like the San Diego Chargers, they're calling like 66 first down runs to Melvin Gordon. And he's like 25% success rate. Whereas like they throw the ball to Hunter Henry on first and 10 and it's like hitting at a 60% success rate. Why are they force feeding Melvin Gordon is such inefficiency and in setting them up for second and long almost every single time. So um, I, I built that, but I'm a big fan of, wherever it comes and therefore I've become a fan of coaches but the, the interesting part with that is I'm sure you guys know um, you can have great coaches who typically are on the right side of decisions and make opportune decisions that screw things up in a certain game plan a certain situation I mean you guys remember when uh, you guys went out into New England what was it last year I think and New England was coming off of a bye and they just had this obnoxious game plan that was just completely baffling and you guys knife through their defense um and you see so you even see a team like new england they say they don't use the analytics but they really do um and their coach is so intelligent when it comes to making the right decisions that he might not need analytics to tell him something but he already is kind of in that direction he's on that ship anyways he's just not at the steering wheel of with a computer of analytics uh spitting things out to him but even they make bad decisions. Um, I could tell you, I don't know. I, it's hard to talk to people who are so knowledgeable about a team like you guys are with the Seahawks, but from a, from afar, uh, both literally and figuratively, um, you know, Daryl Bevel kind of just, um, really frustrates me at times. Um, <laughs> that was my next question. Ask me that question. So please preach on. That, that was, was my question right there. Was, put numbers behind it, it, what we see. Well, I mean, I, the numbers, um, we, we could talk about like their play calling and actually I'll bring up some stuff that I was, I was pulling together for the show. Uh, some of the early down success rates, cause I know that you guys, um, you know, that's one of the metrics that I like to use, but, uh, before we get into that, I'll just say like in the red zone in particular, it gets extremely frustrating at some of the decisions that they, they make. And the problem is, you know, this is a team that needs to cherish and value those red zone possessions. They cannot afford to have meaningless plays, um, especially in the red zone, plays that aren't optimal. And that's where I always try to look at things. It's like, what would be the optimal play call here? Now, you can't always, you know, optimal play on first and 10 inside the red zone because the defense would ultimately know your tendencies. So you do have to mix things up, but you have to att attack weaknesses. I feel like too many teams do what we do. And the easiest path to victory is attacking that weakness of your opponent. And I've got a lot out of the, the uh, 
old old uh, text, The Art of War, just a lot of the war theories that they bring about, about easiest path to victory and, and don't go where the enemy thinks that you're going to be. Um, you have to guise things, but you can't just resort to like these ludicrous trick plays that he sometimes calls up that just have zero. Let's get back into some real numbers because I know you, you want to hit that. So your guys, you actually right now rank as like the 30th team in early down success rate. Um, it's, it's pretty bad in terms of your metrics from that. And I'll, I'll tell you, you actually rank offensive, uh, defensively, you rank 13th in the league, but offensively, you rank 30th. Um, and if you adjust for strength of schedule, you actually rank a little bit worse than that due to the, uh, some of the opposition that you face so far this year in terms of their offensive efficiency. You look at the Colts and the, the 49ers thrown in there and the Titans are kind of a hit and miss team, obviously, but, um, Here's where you got. Here's where your edges and your weaknesses are offensively, because that's the biggest problem area that you have right now. Um, you rank 30th in rushing success rate early on early downs. We're only talking early downs here, so any numbers I throw out to you, just assume it's early downs. You only 30th in thing, rushing. Warren, I got to interrupt you. Is that we're not 32nd, but continue. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will. I will get to something where you are 32nd. <laughs> You rank 30th in rushing success and 11th in passing success. So like defense, you're much better at one side of the coin than the other side. Um, you're better offensively than – sorry, you're better defensively than offensively. You're better passing than rushing. You guys obviously know this. But the difference is the aggressiveness in nature between the first half and the second half. Um, when you look at what they do in the first half, they rank dead last in rushing efficiency in terms of their early down success rate. Only 24% of your play calls in the first half when you run the ball on early downs are successful. But you rank in passing success rate, which is still not great, but it's 41% of your plays on early downs where you pass the ball are successful. So a significant increase over what you were because you're so far off the radar when you run the ball. Overall, though, in the first half, efficient, the worst early down success rate offense in the NFL. Everything changes at halftime. And I think you were asking me about this and, and you probably have some research that you've done on this as well. But uh, in the second half, your rushing success rate, your rank goes from 32nd to 17th. So you move from worst to the middle of the pack. You're, you move from 24% up to 42%. So you near, nearly double your efficiency, the, the frequency of your run plays on early downs being successful in the second half as opposed to the first half. A slightly less increase, but still a massive increase when you're talking about your passing success rate. You move from 41% up to 58%. That takes you from 28th in the first half up to second best in the NFL in the second half. Overall, in the second half on early downs, you guys are the seventh best team in the NFL. Um, so what does that tell us? That tells us that you guys are being too, in my opinion, you guys are being too conservative in the first half with some of your play calls on early downs. And it's causing problems, therefore executing whatever you're trying to do on third downs. It's putting you in bad situations. You're behind the chains on third down, making it more difficult to perform. Um, so I don't know what types of if this is jiving at all with some of your opinions, but um, whatsoever, 
that your performances are in the second half on early downs where you're the seventh best, including the second best when you pass, are massive. And in addition, my recommendation would be to try to pass the ball a little bit more often, especially now that you, you know, Chris Carson is out. You guys have to better support the run game by opening things up via the pass and then resorting to the run. A la sort of what, I mean, I always harken back to this because I remember it when I was first looking at analytics, but remember the days where Bill Cowher and the Pittsburgh Steelers, they had the, the, like one of the best defenses in the league and they were the, this run team with Jerome Bettis, but you, you put them in the playoffs, all of a sudden they come out throwing the ball on you and, and you're like, what the hell? And the defenses didn't know how to react and then they had to start playing the pass and then they would gash them with the run. You have to kind of switch some things up and you can't get so conservative early on. Uh, I have to <laughs> I really keep wanting to hand it off. Jeff and Evan, please jump in here. But because you, you just brought that up, I, I'm right. I'm going to write an article on this. so I'll, I'll share more later. But you talked about that you feel like the team's too conservative early on. And that's what the metrics are showing, not passing the ball early enough. Well, I picked up on something Pete Carroll said at, at a press conference or on a one show he was on after a recent game that on the road, they like to early in the game go for explosive plays. And then I watched the Rams game and watched them in the first quarter throw a bunch of like deep balls that were not connecting. And then in the second quarter, they started on their touchdown drive, connecting on a lot of intermediate throws and getting some rhythm. And it just for me, felt like it felt like one of those Pete moments where he has this tendency to really try to go for it on, on in odd situations. And this idea that needs to get explosive plays early on the road seemed counter to what how the team's built and what they're capable of. So I used your site, Warren, and thank you for adding some um, different you know splits that allowed me to do this. But interestingly enough, um, it's not just that they are too conservative in terms of um, run to pass ratio, which I think is part of what you're getting at. It's that when they do pass on the road this year or in the first quarter, 34% of their pass attempts on the road in the first quarter are over 15 yards. So they are, they are going for it early on the road. And you know how many points they've scored on the road in the first quarter this year? Zero. Zero points on the road in the first quarter this year. But you start getting on later in the game, second quarter, 16% of pass attempts are over 15 yards. They score 6.7 points on the road in the second quarter. Um, third quarter, 8% are over 15 yards. They score 4.3. So they have this weird thing. And if you flip it and you go home, uh, the home follows a totally different path. But setting that aside, um, there seems to be this combination of what you're talking about, which is maybe they're, they're trying to run too often. They're not passing often enough. And then also when they do pass, they're going for low percentage passes early on that aren't necessarily going to, to work out. And so it feels like there's this clear sign pointing to make some, you know, intermediate to short passes that can help you move the ball and help you gain some yards. That seems to be when this offense is at its best. And for whatever reason, they're not doing that early in games. Yeah, well, I, def I definitely... I mean, this is something that I think has become a little bit more prevalent uh, this season. I've noticed it starting with the very first game, the New England Patriots, when they hosted the Chiefs, where, 
you know, they have this really efficient offense. I know they don't have Julian Edelman anymore, obviously. We all know that. They know that. But they just keep going deep. They just keep obnoxiously chucking the ball deep, and it's setting them up for these bad situations. And um, not even a baseball fan. I know we've got the, you know, the championship series now and, and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, but Bill James and, and Sabermetrics and whatnot is, to me, you have to – Explosiveness is important. Why is explosiveness important? Because I love early downs, uh, early down success rate. And why do I love those? It's because it avoids third downs. What happens when you gain a 30-yard pass play? You're avoiding potentially three different times that you may have to go to third down in between where you are and where you end up. So a chunk play, an explosive play, does help your overall performance because it's bypassing some of those third downs. But you cannot go so explosive that you're sacrificing performance on those early downs. And I don't know if the strategy there is they don't have as much faith in their want to pick up chunks and let the defense uh, push the defense back off, you know, from crowding the box. But there's other ways that that accomplished without throwing low percentage passes um, into the mix. And so uh, what, what you're telling me, very ironic because so often what teams will try to do, especially when they're on the road, is get a quarterback into rhythm, establish some type of a rhythm with easier completions. Now, Russell Wilson, extremely talented. You don't necessarily need to, just like with Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, like work this guy into a rhythm. But it is a little interesting how I've noticed several teams this year really try to go deep and get very explosive. And it there must be some some work that they've been doing that talks about the importance of explosive plays. And I I firmly believe that there is a correlation with explosiveness and success. But the key is you have to hit those plays. You can't be one for 10 on explosive passes and say, hey, well, we're at least trying to be explosive. You have to hit them at a certain rate in order for it to help you win. And if you're not, then you're not helping yourself win. Evan, any uh, any questions you have for Warren? I know Warren, we've kept you for a little while. You stick around for a couple more questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is a, this is a little off topic, but what's your what's your favorite uh, what's your favorite stat to analyze quarterbacks? And, and there's a lot of talk about different, you know, QBR, passer rating, all this type of stuff. But what's your what's your take on your favorite way to evaluate quarterbacks from a statistical point of view? Uh, a good, great question. Um, I really do like QBR, but obviously without being able to calculate, it's like a proprietary metric. Um, I've, I've kind of steered away from utilizing it quite as much, although I feel like if you're somebody on the outside just looking at stats, is a is not a bad metric. Um, I used to be very, very anti-QBR back in the day when they first came out with it. I was definitely in that corner like – they invented this stat that has like grading incorporated into it and it could be very subjective and especially when they first started it. But I, I kind of feel now like um, there's been probably a bit of standardization amongst how they're grading things. And so it's probably improved in its utility uh, since it, when it first started. Um, personally, I, I still look at yards per pass attempt. Um, you know, there's football has been inundated to to an extreme with you know fantasy um and so the the 
projected points and the points per attempt and things of that nature that get ingrained into just any discussion about football really kind of led that direction by what they do with fantasy and daily fantasy and all the fantasy analysts out there. And so uh, an overemphasis does naturally seep into, um, you know, touchdown rates and touchdown performance and things like that. I think it's, I think it's important. One, one thing that I value though, uh, I value first down passing, first down efficiency. I do value what is a player's uh, passer rating on those deep targets, you know, because that takes into account efficiency as well as touchdown production and, and things of that nature. So, um, you know, yards in the air, average yards in the air is important as well. Uh, it's a little bit harder to obtain as quickly as you may want it, though. But um, well, I don't really peg that as, one. you know, something that you have to pigeonhole. I like looking at a lot of different things, including success rate as it relates to as it relates to passing. Uh, one of the folks that's watching, uh, had a, I think they're joking, obviously, but I'm curious. Uh, they, they want you to be our new offensive coordinator for the Seahawks, by the way. Uh, how, you know, do you have an end game in mind of where this could be, like a vision of where you could end up? Is it, is it you know, continuing down this analytics path and just sharing this stuff with the world as you've been doing? Is it eventually working for a team? Is it working in Vegas? Is it you know, being a coach, I mean, like, what are, there's a bunch of different ways you could end up taking this. Uh, what, do you have a dream around this? Um, my dream is just to keep getting better and keep doing uh, more and more things all the time. So uh, in terms of like the, the one idea of quote unquote, taking it to Vegas, like I'm all, I'm already pretty much doing that. I'm already, I mean, at my sharp football analysis website. So I have two sites. I've got my sharp football stats website, which is all the free analytics and visualizations and then we've got the sharp football stats, uh, sharp football analysis.com, which is all my like in season analysis and all my, you know, I write for ESPN. Uh, I break down all the games for them, uh, but that's behind, you know, the ESPN chalk and you have to pay for that insider and whatnot. Um, but I mean, we're, when, when I put out a game to clients, like if I put out over a, a total, that's what my specialty is. Um, I do really well on sides too, but uh, predicting how many total points will be scored using the analytics that I have. And then obviously Vegas puts up their numbers, you know, 45 total points in this game. And I, I can project, well, my model says 49 and a half. So we're going to bet the over at this rate. And and when we put the games out, I mean, when it sits at 45, we'll move to 46 and 46 and a half. And, and it'll move a, a point and a half to two points within, you know, uh, within a few seconds it starts and then it'll move a couple points within a few minutes at times, um, depending on how strong of a recommendation it is. So we're already, I mean, infiltrated that market. Um, I, I know a lot of the sports book managers out there uh, and, and they're familiar with me and, and my success and that sort of thing. So that's, that's not what I would be aspiring to because I'm already pretty good there. That what I'd be aspiring to is to, infiltrate this into the actual play calling that occurs in the NFL, the actual decision-making that occurs. Um, and I've already reached, you know, some teams have, I've been in communication with certain teams. Um, there's a, there's a number of features on the website that um, I have private that I don't really talk about much, but that I've built for some, for some teams, but eventually, I mean, I don't know exactly where it would take me. Um, product the on the on-field product better then I'll be happy because I love watching football and it frustrates me 
seeing things on TV that I completely disagree with or hearing the announcers talking about things in a completely uneducated manner as if they have no understanding about what they're trying to tell people it's telling them the exact wrong thing. Like if you could say what would be the most wrong thing to tell the viewers at this point in time, that's what they're telling them a lot of the time. So that's very frustrating. But I think some of the guys on your site who like the play calling and want to ask about the play calling on the short football stats website, go to the offense tab and scroll down to play frequency. And there's a, a tab there called play calling tendencies. Click that and you'll instantly get taken to, you know, team by team pages of you can start manipulating, you know, different scenarios, different situations. Uh, what quarter is it? You know, what some of the stuff that you were talking about and see the play calling, see what they do most often, what they do most successfully. Um, every, everybody can get smarter. Uh, it doesn't just have to be me telling the teams like everybody can have a better understanding. The guys who cover the sport, you know, I. I get a lot of contact uh, and, and interview requests and things like that from people who cover the teams for different papers or different TV stations and things like that. Um, these guys are getting more intelligent about what they're choosing to ask the coaches sometimes. So I, th I think overall, like I'm pleased with the direction that this is heading. I'm a little bit disappointed with the lack of success that like a team that's so ingrained with the analytics which is the cleveland browns you know their front office is not really having a lot of success so that's a little bit disheartening to me but um part of that is not their fault part of that is uh the coach's play calling and his decision making i mean i was tweeting about this uh the Hugh Jackson, Hugh Jackson's uh, decision to not have his quarterbacks throw the ball to the short middle of the field. Um, and if you follow that on Twitter, I apologize, but for 30 seconds, the most efficient place to throw the football for any quarterback is the short middle of the field. Since they implemented those rule changes that prevent the hits coming across the middle, that has become like a safe haven for players to be able to gain efficiency and for quarterbacks as a very easy pass over the middle. Now, you might not have a clear throwing lane because of the angles and that sort of thing. You have to create some of that yourself. But if you look at passer rating or success rate of passes thrown to the short middle, it's more efficient and more successful than throwing to the left or to the right. But of course, Hugh Jackson, he's called 3% of his pass plays the last couple of weeks when Hogan was in there to the short middle. The NFL average is 20%. He's called 3%, and then he wonders why the quarterbacks aren't having much success is because they're trying to fit these balls, you know, two yards from the sideline with the receiver's arms hanging out over the sideline. Um, and it's very difficult. These guys, these quarterbacks he has aren't Aaron Rodgers. They're not Tom Brady. They don't have laser-like precision down the field. Give them some choice routes over the middle or some running backs. Uh, you know, get get some efficiency there. It's very frustrating. So it's not just the analytics front office. Sorry, complete tangent. Um, but at no, any rate. It's, it's really, it's, it's fast. I mean, like I said, for me, uh, I could definitely uh, pick your brain about this. And I'd love to have you back on the show, um, you know, if we can find another time to do it. Uh, you know, it's interesting as you talk about the short middle, um, that just happens to be something that a lot of Seahawks fans know is not as available to, to, to the Seahawks offense because Russell's on the shorter side and has a little trouble seeing that part of the field. So in general, the Seahawks don't attack the short middle as much. He, he likes deep middle, um, but struggles, struggles with that throw. So um, Warren, 
I want to make sure I, I give you some of your time back. I know it's, it's later your time. Um, this was fantastic information. Tell folks where they can find you um, to learn more and uh, uh, find more of your, what you're doing. Yeah, the easiest way, I mean, I always try to advise like the, the, the free sites. Twitter is the free site, obviously. Uh, I tweet tons of stuff out there. So that's at Sharp Football. That's my Twitter handle. Uh, SharpFootballStats.com. That's my free stats website. Tons of useful information there. You could spend, you can waste a whole day of work if you want to, if you have a day to waste just going on there and checking everything out. And then SharpFootballAnalysis.com is my uh, in-season analysis site where I give out predictions and things like that to clients. So I try to give a lot of useful stuff at all three of those spots and uh, stay in communication with people and try to help people learn about the game and uh, and share some information that I have. You want to give us, before you leave, uh, which way you're leaning on the Seahawks-Giants? Mine has obviously come down a little bit. You know, you guys open as high as, uh, what, I think it's eight at eight. one of the spots. Yeah, uh, six and seven and a half at a couple of others. And it's dropped down a little bit. Um, the Giants obviously played way over their heads. Now, we actually liked the Giants last week against Denver. Um, they were catching way too many points there. So that was a good buy low opportunity. That's just, you know, pure buying a team that everybody hates at the right time. Um, and they were able to outperform that. I don't know. You know, you guys now have seen a little bit. You have a little bit better edge than the Denver Broncos did from the perspective that they're not just switching up the play caller right before your game. They did it last week. So hopefully you guys have been in the lab figuring out some of the new tendencies and um, and based on down and distance and things of that nature. Um, but it, it, you guys going out on the road, fortunately, what it's, it is a late game, so it's not an early kickoff. So that's one thing that's going in your favor. Um, you're favored by five and a half now. I don't. I haven't done any hardcore projections on that game because nothing stood out to me yet in terms of uh, in terms of performance. But I will say one thing that other teams should do, and I don't know that the Giants will do this enough because, I mean, it, this could be a game where where the running backs out of the backfield come into play a little bit more. Um, teams only throw to their running backs against you guys 14% of the time. That's the least frequent league. But the, on average, those passes gain 6.1 yards per attempt. When teams target wide receivers against you, average 6.0 yards per attempt. You're the fourth best in the league at holding down the yards per attempt to wide receivers. So I think it's imperative. You know, the Giants stopped running as much 11 personnel. They ran, you know, like the highest amount in the league last year. I think it was like 93% 11 personnel last year. They've definitely decreased that. Um, and I think it's in their best interest, especially with their injuries, to continue to decrease that, get a little bit more running back and tight end involvement defense because it's going to be hard. Those wide receivers that aren't as talented against your DBs. But um, I, I think it could be – I think it's going to be a pretty interesting game. I'm guessing that it's probably going to be a little bit lower scoring, but uh, the, the, the line has – been bet up a little bit it actually opened if you can believe it 38 and a half and is now sitting at 40 and a half in terms of the total points that are being projected to be scored that may not seem like enough 41 is a pretty key number so if this thing got up to 41 i would definitely expect some money to be bet in on the under pretty quickly uh but i think the game's going to probably start off lower at a lower pace than what those null lines currently are projecting i think uh 
a first half under bet is probably in order if you can get anything better than 20. Those lines, unfortunately, aren't out yet. Because the sports books are really scared, I think it's obnoxious, but they won't post those until tomorrow mid-afternoon, um, East Coast time, right around noon or so. And uh, those lines should be out now. If it was up to me, I would I would have them out now. And I've already placed a number of bets this week. But it's frustrating that those they don't post those early enough. So that would be my prediction. It would be a, a lower scoring first half. Seems like that's a good a good bet um, based on what we've seen from the Seahawks on the road so far this year. So, Warren, thank you so much. Thanks for making this stuff available for all of us. And uh, uh, let's hope to, to have you back again soon. Yeah, definitely. I think you guys got a good shot at making the postseason, especially now with Aaron Rodgers. So maybe we can uh, link back up uh, closer to that point in time. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. You too. Wow. So that was a ton of mind-blowing info, right? I mean, the guy is smart beyond all get out. How many of you were hoping that – one of the teams that he's in contact with was the Seahawks. <laughs> Seems like he can use a, like an hour with Pete Carroll and Bevel and just like maybe pass along some new ideas, sit down with those guys. I think Pete would love it, right? I, I mean, know. So Give him in, an hour. He, he might I, talk for the full hour, but – Exactly. Exactly. Hey, we while we were talking uh, and listening to Warren, we've got our next guest who's also a member of the Hawk Blogger family now. Uh, William Cornell, welcome to the show, dude. How's it going, guys? Good, good. Uh, you may not be familiar to everybody uh, listening, so if you can, do a quick intro about who you are and, and uh, some of the cool stuff that you've, you've been doing. Uh, name's William Cornell. I make the Rain City Redemption series and uh, met Evan a while ago through Twitter and that's with Matt Bryan. So hello, everyone who isn't familiar. <laughs> What's up, dude? What's up, man? <laughs> and, and before the Rain City Redemption series, you also made uh, the Sonics stuff, right? Didn't you do something on the Sonics? I didn't. I wish I could say I did. Those were, that was an awesome series. Okay. Got it. Got it. I don't know why I thought that, but uh, I know Evan always is talking about the Sonics, so maybe I just assumed they were. <laughs> You're talking about the uh, Sonics gate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's what it was. Yeah, it's uh, an awesome documentary. So, Brian, let me interject real quick. While yeah. Warren was speaking, I want you to know I downed an entire this. <laughs> which so I I I ordered you. You said you want a pepperoni pagliacci pizza. Yes. Now pagliacci does more than just pepperoni. They actually have two types of pepperoni. Oh really? Uh, and so I got you one of each. Do you know which one you took? Uh, it was spicy. Yeah, it was spicy. There's one that was spicy and one that was normal. So there's definitely the spicy one. Yeah. I think it's like salumi or something. It was it was uh, That's really good though. Yeah, nice. Nice. Completely Congratulations. Gone. Glad it made it. William, maybe you'll be next week. Uh, Jeff will be never unless he moves out here to Seattle. <laughs> Not against it. So uh William, uh you got some some big news coming up on Friday, right? Tell tell folks about um you know, anyone that loves the Seahawks, uh, what you're going to be releasing. So, um, so basically the way the episode started was I was just 
I basically started out where I was going to do an episode per year, and I, I guess I just hoped that they would someday win a Super Bowl, and then, <laughs> of course, they did. So that's kind of when the episode stopped. Um, unfortunately, when this series started, uh, I, I you know it was my first ever you know it's my first ever video that I ever made, so I kind of struggled with it, and uh, I always felt there was a need to go back and kind of revisit some of the some of the story and make it higher quality. Um, my last release I felt was kind of more up to par for where I am now as a video editor. And so basically I'm going back and remastering all the old episodes. And so the first episode remaster will be coming out on Friday, which I'm pretty excited about. So for people that have seen it, um, well, even before we say that, um, not everybody knows the rain city redemption series. What is it? Um, what, what, you know, what, um, what did it capture and now what's going to be added, um, in the, in the, in the new version? So essentially what it is, is it, it starts out with the the end of the Holmgren era in Seattle and kind of picks up from where Pete Carroll starts. And the whole point of the series was kind of to capture the, capsule the, you know, the whole, you know, change in culture and how they basically just became good, <laughs> for lack of a better term. And uh, it started with that first season. And what it is, is it's a, it's a documentary series that kind of goes in chronological order from the time Pete Carroll got here. And it's uh, kind of designed to capture the emotional side of being a Seahawks fan, which um, I, I hear from people who watch it does a pretty good job. So uh, that's kind of the long and short of it. Evan, Jeff, uh, you know, items you want to ask William about before we get back to just general roundtable Seahawks talk? Yeah, yeah. So, Will, you mentioned, I, I think maybe it was either via text or maybe you tweeted it or something like that. You you added some parts, didn't you, in, in, in this remastered version? You didn't just make it high quality. You made it um, – there were there were some parts to the story that you felt like were, I think, left out in the first in the first, uh, in the the first first episode. So, if you want to tap on that and, and tell us maybe – give us some sneak peeks, sneak peeks to what we can expect in this the second round. Sure. So uh, looking back on that first episode, I, I really felt that I don't even think that it was so short that I don't think I did it just you know, the whole story justice. I thought that Pete Carroll probably should, his background probably should have been a little bit more introduced and, you know, properly. Uh, I thought Marshawn Lynch was something that I, that I kind of skimmed over the first time around. So this one's going to focus a lot more on Pete Carroll's background at USC, uh, how much he was doubted when he first entered the league. And uh, it's also going to really go into Marshawn Lynch's background, which I thought was, again, really missing from that first one. So uh, those are really the two differences. And then, of course, uh, I put a little more emphasis on John Schneider for you. <laughs> and now it's like your, <laughs> it's your number one guy. So uh, it's just a little bit more fine-tuned in the you know, story from beginning to end. So what I'm trying to say is everyone, everyone who's listening, the whole Hawk Blogger team, we all better have some PTO ready for Friday because <laughs> – this is going to be like a weekend marathon type thing. <laughs> well, we'll see. It's a, uh, it's a little shorter than the others. Um, some of the more recent ones have run for about an hour and a half, two hours. Uh, this one's only about 55 minutes, but the original ran for around 37 minutes. So it, you know, there's a lot of extra footage, about 20 minutes or so. Okay. Cool. When is this going to drop? It's going to drop on Friday uh, for you guys. I'll hopefully have a link up tonight. So you guys will get the sneak peek release. <laughs> so awesome. to speak. But uh, yeah, so it's to drop on Friday. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Well, dealer's choice, William. Uh, and you prefer William or Will? Uh, Will. Will. All right, I got William on my screen, so I'll call you. Say, either one's working. Uh, we've we've already talked a little bit about the um, the left tackle position. We've talked a little bit about 
Uh, we've talked about Cliff Averill retiring, or not necessarily retiring, but Cliff Averill going on IR and potentially retiring. Uh, what's on your mind when it comes to Seahawks that uh, we should talk about here? Not so much the Seahawks. I think right now I, I'm kind of enjoying the fact that it's really an 8-8 eight and eight league so far. And, of course, I don't know if that's how it's going to play out. But right now, you know, especially when you include the Aaron Rodgers injury, it seems that the NFC is wide open. Actually, the whole league for that matter. So um, if you guys want to go into that, I'm, I'm ready for it. Yeah, actually, one, one thing that just kind of strikes me and, and one thing we haven't talked about is the Falcons look bad. Like, did you guys see the Dolphins game this past weekend? Yeah, yeah I did. Oh my gosh! What ha- I mean, they're well. I guess they're collapsing leads like they uh, like they're they've been known to do. But it's just oh. not <laughs> okay. I I kind of I had a feeling this was going to happen this year. And if you looked at Matt Ryan's career numbers and kind of just the way they've looked throughout his whole career, last year was a real outlier. And a big part of that to me was Kyle Shanahan. Mm-hmm. And Kyle Shanahan, even if you watch San Francisco with a team with inferior talent. He is such a good play caller and such a good play designer. And if you look at a lot of the plays last year, they had guys wide open. I remember that Seattle playoff game. They had guys streaking down the field, whether it was the running backs and the receivers. And this isn't a knock on Steve Sarkeesian. You just put an average offensive coordinator on that team. They're not the same. And the defense has gone actually better. And they've just come back to normal. And without Kyle Shanahan running that offense, they're not – a Super Bowl team, and this is kind of what Matt Ryan and they've been pretty much throughout his career. I, I gotta admit, I, it, it surprised me. I knew that I, I agree with everything you just said, Jeff, and I was tweeting out about that a little bit this week. You know, looking at, at Ryan, I, I've all, I've got in arguments with friends uh, after many drinks before before Seahawks games about Matt Ryan. Before I've always thought he is, you know, a franchise QB, an MVP level QB. And when I was saying that was like three years ago and they thought I was nuts, like he never will be that level. And so I was, I was forcing a lot of crow down people's throats last year when he was doing what he was doing. And uh, when I looked at the numbers, I was shocked to see how average, you know, he's above average, but he's basically an above average quarterback in general, other than two years in his career. Happens to be two years the Seahawks have played them in the playoffs, but but um, setting that aside, um, uh, yeah, I, I think play calling has a lot to do with it, uh, and it surprises me given the offensive talent they've got on that team. Um, you know, you can go on and on. I mean, people talk about Julio Jones and Devonta Freeman and Matt Ryan, but I even think guys like. Mohamed Sanu and Taylor Gabriel and Tevin Coleman, like you can go on down the line. They got a lot of ammunition. You'd think that any play caller that's in the NFL could, could be pretty consistently good with them. I heard a, a comment as early as I think it was this morning. I was on John Clayton's show that he's hearing that, that defensive players feel like they know what's coming, that they can predict what what's coming with the, the Falcons offense. And that's a, if true, that is that is a fireable offense um, in the NFL, and uh, you know when you're losing to losing to the Bills at home. That, by my metrics, the Bills are the best defense in the NFL right now. So I, I kind of understood how that could maybe surprise them. Coming off a bye week and losing to the Dolphins after being ahead 17 nothing at halftime. That's another thing entirely. So 
I'm not writing them off just yet, but I think that whole NFC South, is that right? Yeah. Carolina, New Orleans, which is a sneaky good team, guys. They're number four in my power rankings. Um, and I don't do them myself. They're just analytics based. Um, you know, Carolina, Atlanta, New Orleans, and even Tampa Bay. I think they're going to beat up on each other. I don't think you're going to get a number one seed out of that division this year. Well, how much of the Atlanta struggles this year do you think have to do with that Super Bowl hangover, kind of like we experienced uh, after the 2013 season? Because I, I got to say, I kind of predicted a little bit that they would, you know, they would kind of fall a little bit, at least from where they were last year, just based on how they lost that Super Bowl. So how much do you think kind of plays into that at all? It's funny. That's a, like, uh, even having gone through it, uh, it doesn't, I, I don't factor that in to me. That, that feels like something that we as fans probably would think about, but like when the Seahawks had it, there was some pretty clear div divisions in the, in the locker room between players and between players and coaches. Like there was a lot of finger pointing about the, Pete Carroll wanted Russell Wilson to win the MVP and that's why he had him throw the pass. There was, you know, players that were fighting amongst themselves about that. You know, there was, uh, but Pete Carroll, who I still to this day believe was covering for Daryl Bevel. I think he threw himself in front of the bus. Um, I think that was absolutely Bevel's decision and Pete would never let one of his coaches take the fall for that. Um, so I think there's a lot that was going on there but it came down to really one decision in the end that I don't think really applies to the Falcons. That was a total team-wide collapse. And I don't think there was one place. So I guess for me, that, that isn't the reason, but um, uh, maybe it is. Maybe, you know, maybe there's more to it than I'm giving it credit for. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. No, I, I just think, I think there, there is a, a part. That's a, that's definitely a part of it. It's really hard to, it's so hard to get to the Super Bowl and kind of when they were, they should have won that game. They stopped running the ball. But again, I think it just, it comes down to, they don't have right now, they have no kind of identity on offense. And we've talked about it with Seattle a bunch. And last year they did all those motions and they had all those crazy formations. And I know it's crazy. Just Shanahan's so good at those motions and scheming guys open. Something we talk about Bevel all the time. And they, they're just, Julio Jones is banged up. Sanu is out right now. They don't have that go-to guy in the passing game, and they're not running the ball as efficiently as they did last year. So th they just look like a different team. Yeah, and, and you know, we're also comparing it to, like, a re in an insane year by them in 2017. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like they it's such an outlier year that it's like they were, like, one of the best. I, I don't know, like, from a statistic point of view, but they, they had to have been, like, one of the best offenses, like, we've ever seen. They were insane. So. Um, yeah, they're, they're just falling back down to earth a little bit. Um, I'm trying to think of what other teams have kind of been shockingly bad. Uh, Cowboys are rough, looking rough. Yeah. Um, obviously, with the Zeke stuff, kind of like oh, – I, I feel like I'm a – I feel like I have a bar exam. Worst story. Oh, you know, he's in, he's out, he's in. Like, oh, my God. But, I mean, I guess if you're a Seahawks fan – now they've got the the two week the fourteen day uh, restraining order, so he's going to play for at least the next two weeks. I think that gets close to where he's going to miss the Seahawks game if they get reinstated. So, you know, uh, there might be some uh, bright light there. 
and and we can talk about some of the other teams, and that's fine. Obviously, the the Packers are down. I think the Vikings are a team to watch. If Teddy Bridgewater really is coming back, that defense is fantastic, and um, you know they don't need a lot. Um, it was a huge loss to Dalvin Cook. That was a big deal, but yeah. um, that's a team. Uh, I think the Eagles. I don't know. I'm having a hard time feeling like the Eagles are as great as, as everyone says, I will tell you when I look at their schedule, there's a really decent shot. They come into CenturyLink field 10 and one when we face them. Um, they have a pretty straightforward path um, the next few weeks, depending on how things go. Um, you know, that that's a team that could definitely be hard to catch just from a schedule standpoint. Who's their one so, loss to? Say that again. Who's their one loss to? The Chiefs. On the road. Andy Reid. Andy Reid knows that team. He knows Doug Peterson. He trained Doug Peterson. He knows them inside and out. Same scheme, same – a lot of his old holdovers. So, but they also, you guys, Go ahead. Do you guys still see the Seahawks as a, as a team you can see getting a bye? First round bye? Oh, yeah. Especially – and don't get me wrong. I'm always optimistic about this stuff. But I, I'm telling you, the Rodgers injury has a huge impact. Like, obviously, we're not rooting for – him to get injured or we're not happy that he's injured but at the end of the day it completely changes the playoff landscape like like i am deathly afraid of going to lambo and playing a playoff game there screw that i do not want to go to lambo so I, I i think it's a huge i think it's a game changer and i think we're absolutely a team that can still secure that first round buy-in and in my my opinion is if they really want to make the super bowl they have to clinch that first round buy I, I, it's hard for me to see this team going to you know to to an away field and, and playing like via wild card or something. So yeah, I, I think they can. It's just a matter of how far our offensive line takes us. Yeah, that's not who this team is now. Um, they are not a bye week team now. Um, I 100% agree with Evan that they're in position like they they can be, but it's going to take like. This is uh, the visual I've got in my mind is uh, anyone that saw was that movie 2012 with uh, John Cusack and all the like the, <laughs> a million times where the, 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 the world is falling apart and they take off on a plane just before the world falls apart underneath underneath them. <laughs> Feels like we're on the runway and the grounds, you know, almost to the wheels like it's almost going to just totally be I look at the Giants at one and five and I say that could be us like like we're not that far from that um even when i'm breaking down the team like great defense troubled offense you know like there's a lot of things that that we need and but if if they can catch if they can find a rhythm um and especially if they can get a damn left tackle like if they can just that lock down that one position um then yeah it, the whole thing's for the taking. Forget the NFC. If the Seahawks can become a top 12 offense, um, and I think I know everyone's like, oh, that's crazy. They're not that far off um, uh, from doing that. If you look at some of the numbers, then they'll win the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, setting other things aside. And, and look at, we, got, we haven't talked about, and people are interested. You've got Deshaun Shedd, who's coming back. You might have Deion Jordan coming back. None of us know who he is, you know, on the football field and what he's going to be like. And then 
Are you a Duck fan? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's the super-duper wild card. So I, I would call Shed, like, minor puzzle piece, maybe allows them to move Jeremy Lane. You've got um, uh, Deion Jordan, who's a legitimate wild card, top, what was he, a two, number two overall pick or number three overall pick, something like that. Um, granted, in a bad draft, but he's a wild card enough. He could have helped the pass rush. And then you got the super duper wild card, which is does Malik McDowell actually make it back? Like we were talking about this guy never playing again. And all all signs I was getting from inside that team and outside the team was tragedy. Sorry, he's never playing again. Now he's cleared for you know conditioning and he's on the field, like watching practice. And all we know is he had a serious concussion. So like if that guy comes back and he, I mean, that's probably super unlikely, but that could totally change the face of the team. Yeah. From a, from a very selfish cap perspective, and, may, and maybe these two situations are completely, you know, irrelevant to each other, but I really, 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 really want to see something from Malik. I want to see a I want to see what he looks like on the field before we have to make a decision on Sheldon. Uh, Sheldon is going to cost so much money to keep around and, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe John and Pete traded for him knowing that they were going to, you know, commit to an extension to him regardless. So, um, but he's, he's going to command some serious money and I just wish, and I pray, and I hope that we get to see a little bit of Malik before, uh, before the season is ended. So. Agreed. And what if he, what if he's able to come back and he's just a world beater, <laughs> just comes back. No one really, no one really believes him and he just kicks ass. <laughs> Then maybe then maybe you keep Malik and you also pay Sheldon and you have a one badass defensive line and maybe you let some you know defenders in the in the Legion leave. I don't know. Who knows? If that happens, you're gonna have another video to make. Well <laughs> absolutely, and I'll be yeah. happy to do it too. <laughs> I gotta ask, what's with this two left guard thing? Like wh why are they going with two players a left guard? What the hell is that? I think I've got a beat on that one. Yeah, okay. Can you please explain this to me? Because no other team in the league does this. Yeah, so, so, so for folks that haven't been paying as insanely close attention as all of us do, like uh, Seahawks announced yesterday, all right, Luke Jokel out for not the week that everyone was saying. I was trying to tell people, I think this is going to be longer. It's four to five weeks. Um, he was arguably their most consistent lineman this season, especially after week one. So it's a big, big loss. And now they, they came out and said, hey, we're going to have an open competition at left guard between Posick and uh, Mark Lewinsky. And here's what I think is going on. I think that um, they're going on the road. First road start for a, a rookie is start on the road is not the easiest thing to do. To start on the road against Damon Snacks Harrison, not an easy thing to do. Um, and start on the road as a rookie against – uh, Harrison and a Spagnola defense that has some pretty creative um, blitzes that they come out and I think communication and experience matters. I think they feel like they, maybe that's not the best way for Posick to get his, his feet wet. And I think they want to give him a little bit more time to kind of get started. I think they want Posick to be the starter. I, I, I'm pretty sure about that. I think that they're having Glowinski. He'll probably get in there and then they're going to rotate in Posick. They've both Tom Cable and Pete Carroll said that both players were going to play. And if Posick does well, I think he just stays in. I don't think it's a continual rotation. I think Glowinski starts. 
they stick in Posick for a series, and if it's not an abject disaster, um, I think they leave Posick in. So, question on this. Is left guard his what, – what's the long-term goal with, with Posick? Or how do you say his name? Posick. I've got Posick. confirmation. Yes, Posick. <laughs> you don't want me to pull Mick away this week. Um <laughs> <laughs> I've heard uh, I've heard left ta- I've heard left tackle I've heard left guard I've heard center I've heard right guard I've heard right tackle for for this guy what what, what does anybody have a read on wh- on where this team wants to use him long term or is it just kind of like whenever a starter falls down that they insert him or it, I mean do they have any real plans for this guy it's got to be right guard, I would think, because Afedi's been pretty decent at right tackle. That was the initial position we kind of envisioned him for. Yeah. Left guard, it could be one of the guard spots. I don't see him as a left tackle. Center's locked in with Britt. Abushi's a, probably a one-year stopgap unless they sign him on the cheap. Given all the people they have to sign, it's hard to imagine they bring him back. So I think it's right guard, but who knows what happens with Jokel now. It could be left guard. Well, yeah. Let, I mean, let's let's take a second and sorry, Evan, and sorry, John Schneider, because you know, I'm a huge fan. But the Joko contract, everyone, every one of us saw that and said that's a mistake. Every one of us, eight yep. million with seven point two five guaranteed. How can you give it to a guy that's never done it well in the NFL and who's coming off? not just, you know, an ACL. He had ACL, MCL, PCL surgery. And you give him 7.25 guaranteed. Guys, we're not able to replace Riso Diombo in part because we've got guaranteed money going to a guy in Luke Jokel who should have had incentive-based contract based on the number of games played and on health. And it, the contract wasn't built that way. So that money's already gone. I mean, it, it should have been half of that should have been available three million bucks that should be available for us to go use to acquire a player that we don't have so just if we're being honest and seeing both sides of this it's a freaking another big miss by the front office when it comes to how to address the offensive line and i've heard talk i've talked to davis and others about we should extend the joke goal he's played well i'm not interested like he has played well you know maybe it's just me being skittish about knees but i mean I would rather the team spend money elsewhere um, on someone else that's, that you know, God, the other way I look at it is spend a million of that dollars on TJ Lang and we'll ha- we would have a guard right now, like potentially. So like, I just think that was a huge, huge mistake on offensive line and free agency again. And then um, as far as post-it goes, yeah, I, I, I think they weren't sure that they were going to sign Britt. I think that they weren't convinced that that was the direction they were going to go and they did it. And so now they're triaging and they believe he can play at any of those positions. I don't think he's a left tackle. I don't think they believe he's a left tackle. He's definitely not going to be right tackle because Afedi's, uh, you know, solidifying there. So I think right guard's a good guess. Um, and, you know, he also has value as a backup at all those positions, especially center. If Britt would ever go down, he's a legitimate player there. So Second round pick, again, my concern there was always that's a high, high draft pick to spend on somebody that you don't know exactly how you want to use and where his long-term fit is. 
there were some great secondary players that that were available, some great other players that were available at that pick that um, I hope that we don't look back and, and wish that we had. So just, so just to clarify on the on the on the Joko contract, Brian, I got to go to a war with you a little bit on this. Yes, bring it, bring it. How, of course. How can you say? How can you say, Brian, that Luke Joko is you know argued to be one of the most consistent offensive linemen for the Seahawks? Probably probably top two, right next to Britt. I think you would agree with. Um, how, how can you say that contract was a mistake? if he's been one of our most consistent offensive linemen. Obviously, obviously the knee cleanup thing is an issue. Now, do we, do we know if that cleanup was to be expected entering the season? Was that on the radar or was that unexpected? So, I, I, so this is the way I'd look at it. If you're a general manager and you're signing any player coming off a major reconstructive knee surgery of all three major ligaments, do you give him all the money guaranteed or do you do an incentive-based contract based on games played? I don't care what position, who they are. Like, that's got to be the baseline. But, Set aside everything else. But this is the problem with that perspective. Is I, I think that's in, like, an idealistic kind of, like, worldview. I, I think, like, I, I don't think that's what the market would have catered to. I, I think he would have gotten a better deal somewhere else. I, I Like, I, I, I think if Seattle offered him an incentive-based deal, they probably did offer him that initially. And, and I'm sure you got a better offer somewhere else. I mean, so, so let's play that. Let's play this out a little bit. Um, so let's say you're right. And, and I don't necessarily think you're wrong. So he gets a better offer somewhere else. He goes somewhere else. He's someone else's problem for five weeks while he's getting this reconstructive surgery. The yeah. Seahawks have $8 million in cap room that they're spending somewhere else on someone else. Do you think we'd be in a better position right now or a worse position? Eight million dollars on someone else? Yes. I don't. I don't think we're in a better position. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It is obviously like we get to play. We get to play this game. And um, let me tell you why. Because they they spent four to five million on Eddie Lacy. Like, that was that's the hindsight one. You combine Joko and Lacy, that's a lot of money you could have spent on a tackle. Like I, I, I I'm not. I'm not super. Okay. I freaking love you, Josh Schneider, but the past couple of years have been a little sketchy in terms of free agent uh, moves. Uh, Marcus Webb, yeah, exactly like Bradley Sowell. Even 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 like the Jermaine Curse extension um, was a little uh, a little interesting. Even I mean, I was I was a little back to for me. John Ryan threw that in there as well. I'm sorry, what was that? I know people don't like it when I say it, but the John Ryan extension, I I think. I think that's a questionable. He's a mediocre punter by almost every metric. Yeah, no, I, 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 I completely agree. The past couple of years have been just a little shady in terms of their, you know, and we're working from hindsight here, but I mean, their free agent acquisitions recently haven't been super reliable. <laughs> Put <Yeah>. it lightly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's a decent chance that, um, the money would have been better spent somewhere else. Uh, you know, I think that even though Jokel has been one of the more consistent players, he hasn't been good. He, this is not a player that's been good. I think when you look at the Seahawks line, there's very few of those guys that have been good. Honestly, I mean, Britt's been pretty consistent and, 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 and overall is probably the highest rated. Effetti's coming on strong. I mean, that's another thing that I looked at this week. Uh, He's one of only 
two tackles in the NFL that has, has over 200 pass rush snaps that hasn't given up a sack. And the other one's Joe Thomas. <laughs> I cannot believe we're using him in the same sentence. I know you're right. It's, it's just crazy. No, I mean, right. I mean, he's going against Jason Pierre Paul this week. <laughs> no, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's a great I, measure. And, and who knows, maybe it's just because Reese is letting everyone get to, to wrestle before. <laughs> I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I guess I'm just saying with the Joe piece, I felt like that was something I could see coming and I'm not nearly as good at being a general manager as John Schneider and never will be. I mean, he is so smart and, and, and looks so far ahead. I just don't get it. I don't get it. You know, uh, and even if the market wasn't bearing it, uh, I don't get it. And it feels like this was bound to happen. So I'm not happy it happened. I'm frustrated, obviously, but um, I hope that when they go into the off season next year, God, like let, let them walk, you know, let them walk and, and, and spend the money elsewhere, use it in a trade for Dwayne Brown, you know, there's a million places you could end up using that stuff. But yeah, um, I guess this is my question for you. Where would you have rather spent the eight mil? Is it, is it just on a different offensive line player or a different position group or. Well, I was, I was, I would prefer, I preferred Riley Reef from the beginning. Oh, got it. Um, and, you know, I don't know what he ended up going for. I'd have to look it up. Um, I, th th it, was, it wasn't necessarily crazy out of range. Um, and if not that, then, uh, you know, again, I, I think TJ Lang would have been someone I would have wanted to spend more money on. And I know he's had some injury issues, but they weren't predictable injury issues. And he was one of the highest rated offensive guards, you know, up until his injury. So. So is so is Reef playing left tackle or right tackle for the Vikings? Left. Okay. He's so a he, left tackle. So he signed a five-year, fifty-eight million. So he's just under, under like twelve, eleven million a year, something like that. So. Yeah. I mean, you. I mean, you combine Lacey and you combine Jokel, you could get. We could have gotten Reef. So. Yeah, kind of like, like a position that they've really neglected, right? Because that seems to be kind of the the popular narrative that they've neglected that position altogether. And it, they've spent a lot of high draft value. They've obviously spent money in free agency. I don't know that they've really neglected. I think it's more of an evaluation thing, isn't it? At this point, you know, you know, what makes it worse. Russell Okung is playing incredible this year. Oh, <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> Maybe he's having his best season since 2012 when he was like a dominant Pro Bowl player. Yeah. But, could have been nice to have twelve million on him or something, right? It would have. I can make people feel a little bit better on that. From from everything I've heard, that wasn't an option. Like no, he he was really like he was in the Brandon Albert range of. It was really unclear whether he really loved football anymore and, and how much he was going to stick around and play. He was. I think he was way, way more interested in the idea of the business side of negotiating his own contracts and doing that than he was about the football stuff. And um, so, I mean, I, I don't think people should underestimate how much the Seahawks care about that aspect of player evaluation. How much does a player love the game? And um, I don't think him coming back at any price was probably really an option, whether people want to hear that or not. But That's for me, tough. it makes it a little less painful. Yeah, no, I, I find that really interesting just because looking back on the on the contract that the that the Broncos signed signed him to was just absolutely ridiculous i i remember it was like five years 
I think I think it's five years, fifty-three million, but it was a first year with five million dollars, like zero guaranteed, and then it was like a four-year team option by the Broncos, whereas then like a twelve million APY type of deal or something. So I, I guess that makes sense, Brian, from a from a football motivation type of perspective. Yeah. Well, listen, fellas, this has been great, and Will, uh, good to have you aboard. We're going to definitely look forward to, to checking out you. So on Twitter, you're at Rain City Series. Is that mm-hmm. That's right. And, uh, they can find the well, – we'll definitely post it on Hawk Blogger, so we'll be able to get it on site there. And then your site is 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 it raincityseries.com? Yes. Actually, just uh, just brand new. Someone ended up buying Rain City Redemption, selling it for 2000 I just uh, – they're not getting any of my money. <laughs> so I changed it up, going with raincityseries.com. Nice. Good for you. Yep. Don't give him any money. No, I'm not getting him any money. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks, folks. Great show tonight. Uh, please, if you haven't already, click subscribe so you get notified when the next show is getting ready. And, and uh, we've got um, some other good guests lined up for next week as well. And uh, give me an interesting game. We didn't talk a lot about the Seahawks against the Giants. Um, it's an interesting matchup. I think it's going to be a close game, closer than people want it to be. Put your hand over the record. Um, respect the, the the talent the Giants have on defense and the trouble the Seahawks have on offense. Expect it to be close, but uh, you know the Seahawks should have an edge in this one. So, uh, Jeff, Evan, Will, thank you all very much, and uh, have a great rest of your night. See you guys. See you. See you next week. Want more great Seahawks talk? Of course you do. Check out the Pedestrian Podcast. It's the official podcast of the UK Seahawkers. Hosted by Stuart Court, Adam Nathan, and Ross Bell. It's fun. It's British. You get accents. You get Seahawks. You get football. It's definitely worth it. They're at pedestrianpodcast.podbean.com, or you can find them on iTunes. Check them out.